0: morning. Today's scripture reading is a selection of passages from 2 Chronicles, Proverbs, Mark, Matthew, and 2 Corinthians, and it's on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The king contributed from his own possessions for the morning and evening, burnt offerings, and for the burnt offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moons, and at the appointed festivals as written in the law of the Lord. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich.
1: Shall we pause and pray before we dive in here? Let's pray together. God, we are encouraged even before we begin, knowing that you are here, that you are present, that you are already working in our midst. Different parts of the service, even the reading of your word, words and phrases that already popping out to us. And what we're praying now is that because you're present, you would just send out your spirit across this room, working in each of our hearts. You would make your word come alive, that you would open our eyes to see things that we've never seen, most of all, you. And so we need your help. Give us help. We need your help. And glorify yourself in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two men were stranded on a desert island. One of the men paced back and forth, worried and scared. But the other man sat back, peacefully, peacefully, bathing in the sun the first man said to the second man bewildered how can you sit there so peacefully aren't you afraid that we're gonna die no the second man replied see i make a million bucks a week and I give and tithe faithfully to my church every Sunday, don't worry, my pastor will find me. (laughs) You know, for the past two weeks, we've been looking at the topic of money, specifically financial stewardship, how the gospel impacts the way that we relate our money, our material possessions. But up to this point, we haven't really focused on financial giving to the church, which is what we're looking at today. Now, well, let's be real. Let's be real. That story in the beginning there is only funny because it's easy to be cynical about the way churches handle and pursue financial Giving, sometimes awkwardly, sometimes even abusively. Maybe that's a key reason why you today feel resistant to Jesus, or maybe suspicious of His church. Maybe you feel you've been burned in the past by a church over the issue of money. And if so, I'm sorry. We can do better. We, the church, must do better. These words from scripture, if we're paying attention, I think, show us a way forward to doing better. And let me say, at Grace Meridian Hill, we are committed to the highest standards of financial accountability, controls and checks and balances. And further, the pastors and the elders do see generosity as an important indicator of spiritual health, as we've talked about over the past two weeks. It's an important part of growing in grace, and so we see it as part of our responsibility to shepherd you in this important area of discipleship, but normally... We don't know your personal income, and we don't scrutinize every detail of your giving, which might come as a relief to you, but of course, you know, that also means that if you're stranded on a desert island, sorry, you might not make it. (laughs) Let's talk about financial giving. Financial giving in and to and through the church, and that's a practice that's often described in the church as the giving of offerings and tithes. You see, the word tithe is found all throughout the Bible. You find it in that first passage we heard read earlier, 2 Chronicles 31, at the end of verse 5, they brought a great amount, the tithe of everything. In Matthew 23, that's the fourth passage that we read earlier, Jesus is referring to the tithe when he says, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. And as we'll discuss more later, the tithe was closely tied to the Old Testament concept of the giving of first fruits. So scholars believe that Proverbs 3, that other passage there, verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, that that's a reference to the tithe. So, what's a tithe? Tithe, simply, in the Old Testament, means tenth. Uh, it means one-tenth of something. It was a special offering in Israel that is referred, that is used to refer more generally to the practice of giving to God through his community one-tenth of all of your possessions or your income. And what we find in these collected verses, these passages that we have before us are a couple of key points that I'd like to focus on. First of all, the purpose of tithing. Secondly, the practice of tithing. And then thirdly, the power of tithing. We're going to look at tithing. It's purpose, it's practice, and it's power. Let's jump in. The purpose of tithing. We actually Find various descriptions of the tithe in different parts of the Old Testament, Leviticus 27, Numbers chapter 18, Deuteronomy 14, and 27 as well. And from these chapters, this is what we learn that the tithes were a special kind of offering in Israel that were given for three purposes for priests, for the poor. And for praise. First, they were given to the priests. The tithe was a way of supporting full-time clergy responsible for the regular operations of the temple in the Old Testament. So after it was collected from the people, the tithe was given to the Levites, which was the tribe of Israel responsible for assisting the priests in the management of the temple and the sacrifices and the worship of God. They had no other financial means of providing for themselves. Their daily work was the work of the temple, and so the tithe took care of their practical needs. And that's why here in 2 Chronicles 31 verse 4, it there describes the tithe as the portion due the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. And this here is where the tradition of financially supporting ministers and ministry staff and basic ministry uh, uh, operations out of the collected offerings in a local church, that's where that tradition comes from. And it's affirmed in different places in the New Testament, like 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And by the way, it's also worth noting that the Levites were required to tithe themselves out of what they received. 2 Chronicles 31, verse 3, you might have noticed, also tells us the king, that's King Hezekiah, contributed from his own possessions. Spiritual leaders aren't exempt. Rather, they are called to lead in generosity and the joy of giving. That includes pastors and elders and diaconate members and staff of the church. First of all, the tithe was for priests. Secondly, the tithe was for the poor. In addition to supporting the priests, the tithe was given as a way of supporting the most socially vulnerable members of the covenant community. And so according to Deuteronomy 14, not printed here, but every third year, the tithe was collected and specially distributed to refugees to orphans, and to widows. And so here's one practical implication of this principle. If a church is collecting an offering from its people, part of those financial resources ought to go towards the care of members and neighbors in financial need. That's why, consistent with our church's mission our budget tries to reflect this commitment on a regular basis. Third, praise. Tithes in the Old Testament were given for the praise of God. Proverbs 3, verse 9 points us in this direction. You heard it. It reminds us, honor the Lord with your wealth. Yes, your Giving your tithes supported the priests, and yes, it filled the needs of the poor, but first and foremost, tithes were a gift to God. A tithe was a way of acknowledging before God, in fact, that 100%, not 10%, but 100% of what you earn belongs to God that 100% of what you own was given to you by God. Even the talents and the abilities and the opportunities and even the physical energy with which you worked to gain those resources, even those things were given to you by God. And so the Tithe was a symbol of this reality. It was a token that acknowledged, Lord, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have, indeed, everything that I am, has come from your generous hand. As it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14, everything, Lord, comes from you. And we have given you only what has come from your hand. So, Practically speaking, because tithes are for the praise of God, this is why we collect our offering in the middle of and as part of our worship service every week. See, because collecting these financial resources is never just a cold financial transaction. I was thinking about this earlier this week. Have you ever noticed how if you give someone a gift card, or or really for that matter any kind of gift, that you almost feel compelled to include a personal note, right, or a card? See, we almost instinctively understand that it's important to make it a relational exchange, not just a monetary one. It's no different in our engagement with God, even in the giving of our financial resources. Do you feel this similar impulse during our offering time, too? It's also an important reminder that the giving of tithes and offerings is not a church tax. It's not membership dues, a way into the community. Nor is it a way to pay God off. You know, so he won't come after you for maybe the bad things you feel like you've done in the past week. Sort of like guilt money or atonement money. Nor is it a way to impress God. Hey God, look at me. Look, look how much I give. No, the way the Bible talks about giving is that your gift to God doesn't earn God's love. It expresses your gratitude For God's love, already given to you in Christ and experienced by you, by the Holy Spirit. It's a joy offering. It's a thanksgiving offering. It's an overflow offering because you know your cup runneth over with the grace of God. Listen, the tithe is a wonderful time to remember All that God has done for you in your salvation. The way that God has delivered you. The way that God has forgiven you, has blessed you, has healed you, has comforted you. Is that what goes through your mind, through your heart, as the offering basket goes around? You see, because the tithe is not only for the priests and for the poor, it's also for praise. A little bit there on the purpose of tithing. But what do we learn secondly about the practice of tithing? We're going to get a little more practical here. The tithe was based upon the principle of first fruits. You see that word there in 2 Chronicles 31 verse 5. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain. New wine, olive oil, and honey in all the fields produced. We also see that word in Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the, what? First fruits of all your crops. So, what were first fruits? First fruits were, well, first fruits. They were what the word sounds like. They were the first part of your harvest early in the season. They were the first of your grain, the first of your fruit, your firstborn lamb. See, tithing wasn't just giving one tenth of your stuff, as if the raw percentage was all that mattered or matters. Tithing was also the giving of first fruits, the first and the best part of whatever you worked for and whatever. You earned. So, what does that teach us about the practice of tithing? First, this principle of first fruits teaches us that tithing makes generosity a priority. Tithing makes generosity a priority. First fruits were the first thing you gave, right? That meant, therefore, that it inevitably impacted the way that you managed the rest of your finances and possessions. It totally redefined how you related to all of your subsequent stuff. You know what that means practically. What it means is that we ought to be building our finances Around a commitment to living generously. Let me say this again. That we ought to be building our personal finances around, centered upon, our commitment to living generously giving. Because too often generosity becomes just sort of an afterthought. A convenience driven sort of practice, a, 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 a habit that only rears up in times of luxury. It's too often an afterthought if and only if we have a surplus. But what would it be like, friends, in accordance with these principles, to prioritize giving, and again, not just to the church, but to those around you, in generous living to prioritize it in such a way that that defines the rest of your month's finances. I mean friends this is an invitation to a totally different life of joy because who doesn't want to be more generous? I know you do. In our hearts, we do. We don't know how to do it, and we're too afraid to do it. But who doesn't want the honor and the joy of living generously like God? Here's another practical point. Prioritizing our giving means giving thoughtfully, deliberately, prayerfully, not haphazardly, mindlessly. I mean, let's be honest, you know, we often have, I often have, we have a tendency to sort of scramble at the last second, right? Maybe grab something real quick to give out of your wallet or out of the drawer. But I understand I've been there too so many times. But do you know what makes giving more of a joy? It's preparing your offering. It's actually taking the time To do it in advance, to pray over it, and so to be able to give with a clear conscience, not under a cloud of guilt, which is not how God invites you to give. He loves a cheerful giver, but sometimes that takes time, so weird is our relationship with money. So that you can give with a clear conscience no matter how much or how little you give because you're doing it humbly and prayerfully and intentionally, remembering that God cares most of all about your heart. But secondly, also this first fruits thing, it teaches us that tithing is an act of trust in God. It's an act of trust. Why? Well, think about it. If you're a farmer or if you're a shepherd, If you're giving your first fruits rather than your last fruits or your leftover fruits, well, then that means that you were exercising trust in God that he would provide your next fruits. You were sort of taking a risk of faith. You didn't know if a storm might roll in and just wipe out the rest of your crops. Or if wolves would sneak in and devour half of your flock of sheep. You know, here's my first fruits, but would there be a second fruit or a third fruit? Can I trust that God will provide for my needs that week, that month, that year? That's the operative question because first fruits giving was always a matter of trust. Tithing, therefore, is always an act of giving over control of your life to God who's worthy of your whole life. Giving without knowledge of exactly what needs and trials might be coming tomorrow. See, tithing not only demonstrates trust in God, it actually deepens your trust in God. It builds up your faith. That's the invitation, isn't it? Are you willing to give in a way that shows your practical trust in God and builds your trust in God? Don't miss the related point, too. Are you ready to be free from the bondage and the idolatry of money? Sometimes giving in this way can actually start to unhook our heart from unhealthy attachments to our material possessions. This also helps us sort through what is probably the most uh, common, not most important, but the most common question that I as a pastor get about tithing. In fact, I got it even just last week after last week's sermon. Are we supposed to calculate the 10% based on gross income or net income after taxes, right? Maybe you've been wondering. I knew it would come up during Q&A. I thought I'd beat you to the punch, right? And you know what? The Bible doesn't say. Yes, no, uh, right? The Bible doesn't say. There's no command. You know, I don't know what gross income is in Greek, but it's not there, Right? But I think the concept of first fruits can help us here. Listen, on the principle of priority that we talked about earlier, I think an argument can be made that it's proper to give to the Lord in your giving to the church even before you give to Caesar, so to speak, by way of taxes. I think you can make that argument. On the principle of trust, however, more importantly, here's a question for us. Why am I asking that question in the first place? Questions of the heart, right? Am I looking for a generosity loophole? Am I in my heart seeking to withhold from God to give to myself? Or do I prefer to take my tithe out of net income because actually I'm afraid? that God might not take care of my needs or am I choosing the way of trust now let me be clear it is possible to decide in faith in trust to take your ties out of gross income or net income that's between you and the lord but also let's be real if Every Christian actually tithe, even their net income. Man, that would more than double the resources of the church around the world. It's all worth thinking through. Thirdly, and to close out this subsection here, thirdly, tithing is a sacrifice. Giving your first fruits means giving the best, not the worst of what you have. <laughs> you know, if you can imagine an Israelite, almost like they're trying to say, you know, hey, hey, God, he, he, here's a, a nice wilted bucket of cucumbers that I probably wouldn't want to have wanted anyway. You know, or here's my three-legged lamb. Uh, no, first fruits, giving your first fruits and right from the start, and by the way, there was a stipulation that you were not allowed to select what you got to give, that it needed to be the best and even a random selection of things so that you wouldn't be able to select out just the bad and to give God your leftovers, giving your first fruits was a real cost. It was a real sacrifice, which is why Jesus is so excited in Mark 12. When he sees this poor widow give two very small copper coins, which were worth only a few cents to the temple treasury. Obviously, Jesus didn't think the absolute dollar amount was the only thing that mattered. What excited him was how much it cost her because it showed her, showed her heart that had grasped how much God had given to her in such a costly manner. She gave out of her poverty, she put in everything Jesus explained to his disciples, all she had to live on. And that's why Jesus exclaimed that she gave more than everyone else. Because she sacrificed. Others in the temple gave much more in terms of dollar amount, but they had far more And so it's easier, Jesus was saying, to give more when you have more, especially if you're just giving from your surplus. But what does it then look like to give sacrificially? The giving, I think that God is looking for, sacrificial giving, is giving that actually impacts our daily lifestyle? Here's how CS Lewis explains this principle. It's actually from a quotation printed on the second page of your bulletin but here it is. If our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch us or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our charitable expenditures exclude them. In other words, there ought to be things that you can't have or things that you can't do compared to your earning peers because of how much you are giving to others. Because of how generous you're being. In other words, the, the, the living standard of Christians that are living out gospel generosity will tend to give them a living standard that is a notch below that of their income earning peers. It's just basic math, it's basic gospel living, but it's an invitation to the joy of generosity. Generosity that entails sacrificiality. A sacrificiality that you find unmatched. From that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which takes us to the last point. Thirdly, the power of Of tithing, we'll close with this. So, we've been saying in the Old Testament in Israel, God required people to give the tithe 10%. But do you know that nowhere in the New Testament does God actually require a tithe? There's actually no specific tithe command or requirement in the New Testament that would apply to Christians today. So let me just repeat that. So are followers of Jesus required required by commandment of God to give 10.0% of their income to God through the church in the way that the Israelites did in the Old Testament? The answer is no. Well, phew, right? I mean, why didn't you tell me before, wasting the last 25 minutes of time or, you know? Okay, so why then are we still talking about this? because tithing continues throughout scripture as an important benchmark of generous giving into and through the church. We discover this in passages like Matthew 23 there, where Jesus is critiquing the religious leaders, where they're just they are tithing in fact and they're giving out of their spices, mint, cumin and dill, and you notice Jesus repukes them He does, however, affirm the value of the tithe. He doesn't say, well, you should have practiced justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Forget about giving a tenth. No. He says you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In fact, he tells them they ought to be giving even more because living justly. Living out of concern for those in need around you. Living generously should have, would have cost them far more. Not just their money, but also their time, their energy, their hearts, which is precisely what they refused to give. In other words, even according to Jesus here, his true followers will generally give more than a tithe, not less. If they're living a life of radical gospel generosity. And again we see this in 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul says I'm not commanding you but I want to give you the test of sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. In other words How shall we give? Here's the principle. Give as God has given to you in the gospel, which is a little bit more than 10%. Give in accordance with the measure of the infinite generosity of God's freely given love, his grace to you, to me. You don't deserve it, not for a single second. Give as God has given to you in the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's this. That God has given his first fruits to you. He's given his firstborn. His very own son, Jesus. The Lamb of God who was slaughtered, who died for the forgiveness of your sins, my sins. Jesus gave sacrificially all he had, like the widow, more than the poor widow in the temple. Putting in all that he had. Jesus didn't just give up a percentage of his possessions, he gave his life. He gave his privilege, his power, his possession, suffering the wrath of God for our sins. Jesus paid it all. Jesus gave it all. That's the gospel. And the more this story begins to redefine your life fills your heart, explodes through your life to the tips of your fingertips as you touch the lives of other people around you, including in the church, as you grow in generosity, then we begin to become a little bit more like him. Radically, sacrificially generous in our giving. God has given me the richest, most generous, jaw-dropping gift imaginable, what am I going to give him in response? If you're a sinner saved by grace, then 10% begins to look more like a baseline, a minimum standard, a rule of thumb. As God's grace revolutionizes our lives, I think the questions in our hearts themselves begin to change. From how much do I have to give, God, to how much can I give? Do I have the privilege of giving? Can I have the joy of giving? Because I love him. Because he has loved me so. Which also, of course, means that if you're here today and and you're not a Christian, maybe you're still on a journey exploring what the basic claims of the Christian faith might be. Well, here for you, the point today is not how much you give, but whether you are beginning to know and see and understand how much God has given to you in Christ. Have you seen, have you experienced the good news of Jesus? Or maybe you're somebody that has known Christ, but you've drifted far from him. Maybe you're even doubting his love for you today. Well, even for you, the point is not simply to call you to give, but rather this, to call you to consider. Have you lately seen the coffers of the riches of, Of God's forgiveness and kindness to you in Christ. You see, because it all begins with the generosity of God. It all begins with the generosity of God. I want to close with this final pastoral note. Last week, I had fun browsing through Facebook, as I'll tend to do sometimes. And came upon uh, a a post from one of our members, Steve Davis, who was sharing a a, a little uh, fun moment that he shared with his son Jackson, who is two, right? And it was a moment where he got to uh, plop his son in the front seat of a truck to go pick up some sod for a new lawn that they were laying out together. But the excitement of it all, of course, was that for Jackson, he was sitting forward and up front and seeing everything for the first time out of this big glass window. So Steve was just sharing just how dazzling this was for Jackson. It's the river, Daddy, look.
0: Uh,
1: he commented, uh, for Jackson, this, it, it was almost like brand new views for his son for the very first time time a lot of us are living in the back seat of discipleship in Jesus because we have no clue how to start in steps that we need to take in living more generously that there actually is something about daring to move in towards the grace of God by living like this in the way that we've described that actually moves you closer to the front seat of seeing the generosity of God, learning to trust in him during times of even financial trouble and lack and scarcity. That there are avenues and horizons of spiritual growth for some of you that cannot be unlocked until you're willing to give in love and joy just a little bit more. Some of us are blinded from the fullness of the windshield of God's glory and grace and here's God's invitation to you to experience more of the transforming generosity of Christ that through him We, too, might become generous like him. Do you want to be like that? More importantly, do you want to see that? God can give us grace to do just that. Let's pray. So we're asking that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would change our hearts, that you would train our hands, that you would give us joy, that you would cause us to burst with love for others and for you, in practical, material ways, not just because we have to, but because we want to, because we love, because we've first been loved by a generous God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.